facing fear, I think, is one of the things that I love because it's an adrenaline rush for me. It makes me realize what I have to conquer so that it's no longer frightening. And I think in today's society, everything is based on fear. And I really feel for artists today only because there is no place to fail. This artist and designer has shut down fear many times in his life, whether it was in walking away from a successful business or dealing with life-threatening illnesses. Each time, he had no idea what was going to happen next. Amos Kotomori, next on Long Story Short. One-on-one, engaging conversations with some of Hawaii's most intriguing people. Long Story Short with Leslie Wilcox. Aloha my kako, I'm Leslie Wilcox. Amos Sadamu Kotomori of Honolulu and Bali has about him a kind of mystique. He inspires ardent admiration on the part of many of those who work with him or who hire him. That's because he can take an art design and elevate it with touches that nobody else thought of and which are inexpensive. Or, as one of his colleagues said, he can even make something out of nothing. He designs fashion, jewelry, building interiors, and more. In fact, he designed our Long Story Short set at PBS Hawaii, as well as this Hawaiian Victorian parlor stage for our Namele TV show, that time featuring Tony Conjugation. He says the spiritual values that his parents passed on to him while he was growing up have always been at the heart of what drives him to dream and to create. Being Japanese, we believe that like our destiny is created with our name. And part of it is that I was named after Amos Cook. He actually came here to be a missionary and became an exactly. educator and a businessman. Right. His daughter gave me his name. My dad was in the first Japanese osteopath in the islands, and Margaret was his, his patient. She came and said, I would like for him to have my father's name. And so that's where Amos came from. And Sadamu came from the temple, and that was, it means never failing, like the Daruma that always pops up. But with that, my parents always made it a point to it's not about never failing. It's, it's about learning from failure. It's about having expectations and, and sometimes lowering them to learn the lesson. You know, so that's all part of it. But the most important one, I think, is my last name, which is um, Kotomori, which is a music. Um, it's a forest of musical instruments. And I always hear the music in everything. I mean, there's, it makes life so much easier. You know, my dad really believed in service. Um, he loved what he did as well as an osteopath. He's a nerve and bone specialist, but he was a country doctor in the sense that it wasn't the money. I it see. was about people coming to, and they would give us food. They would give us, you know. In payment. In payment, and that was fine. I remember one Thanksgiving, someone gave us a live turkey. It was really mean. But anyway, <laughs> but you know, what do you do with a live turkey, right? You just kind of go like, okay. And then it disappeared, and all of a sudden, it was meat. Till today, I can't see buying avocados, bananas, mangoes, because they're supposed to be free. Mm. And lychee is too. Lychee, yes. You know, all of those things, you know. But that's, that's what growing up in Hawaii is, is that everybody was auntie, uncle, hominy, habiji, popo, gungung. You know, all of those things, it just meant that they were family. And I think that's what is the difference here. And that's why I think... 
when I look at people, I don't look at them as, oh, this, this is a cohort of work and a peer. You know, I just think we're all working towards one, moving in one direction. When he saw you interested in art, was he worried? Many parents <laughs> do get worried when they see yeah. that art compulsion. Yeah, you, you know, it, art just kind of came by because my mom was the creative side of it. And, you know, she made my shirts, she printed my shirts, she sewed all my clothes for the first two weeks of school year. Mm-hmm. And so every day I had something new to wear, and I thought that oh, was... That was unusual. That was unusual, but I didn't know it. I really didn't know it. So my, my love for textiles grew from that. But, you know, it's like we are who we are because of all the experiences, you know. And, and I think part of my DNA comes from that strength of being independent from my dad. He died when I was in my early 20s. And he left me an Opie, which I love. I got a print from his office. and But more than that, he left me messages of how to survive, how to... How to really see value in everything around me. So it wasn't about money. It wasn't about, you know, never failing. It was always about doing more and maybe serving. My first memory that I have visually, because I'm a visual person, is my dad holding me at, next to the volcano. And it's like I can still see him there and always pointing to the sky. And so I always look to the stars. And the message really is that if you have a dream, if you have something that you really want to do, it's possible. And the song, you know, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, actually turns into ABC. And that is the next message, is that with education, and I was brought up this way, that you can do almost anything you want. But the key is, I think, what my mom always told me, I was born under a lucky star. You believe that? And I believe that. Designer Amos Kotomori has enjoyed career successes that have taken him all over the world. He worked in advertising, modeling agencies, and with top fashion designers. Eventually, he designed his own line of men's Aloha shirts. He says he was often in the right place at the right time, but his no-fear attitude is what really opened doors for him. I was working at Parks and Recreation. I was the one who did the summer art programs, working with all the parks in the schools and, you know, doing that. And someone walked in and said, would you like to apply for a Rockefeller Fellowship? And I said, oh, what's that? It was 13 states wide and only 10 got it. And I was one of the lucky recipients. And so I got to go to San Francisco and study being museum curator and community arts. All that from Parks and Recreation? Parks and Recreation. And I was one of the, you know, I'd say top 15 positions. And I left that because I didn't know what that offered in terms of the next step. And so I did. And I met the promoter for Issei Miyake, which is like a dream. And well, explain Issey Miyake. Issey Miyake is a Japanese designer that is internationally known for his fabrics, um, pleatings, just an avant-garde designer. And he invited me to Paris to see his show. I was in the Rockefeller Foundation, and I asked for a week off, and they said, mm, no, you can't go. And I thought, hmm, that was a Friday. 
I walked in on Monday morning and I said, I'm leaving the program. And he said, you don't leave Rockefeller. And I said, I am. I have a plane ticket this afternoon. I'm going to Paris. You know, it was the fear that they were trying to instill in me that you don't do this and all of these, the don'ts don't work with me. I think sometimes you just have to challenge it and see what's out there. And, and you're prepared. What if, what if this thread goes nowhere? You know, it, it didn't have any place to go when I went there. And when I got there, I didn't have clothes to wear to the designer shows. I went to Printemps, which is a department store. Mm -hmm. I bought men's underwear and I layered it. I took a kimono. I took the s sleeves off. I made a scarf. I had a friend who made a, a jacket for me out of Japanese sex banners. I wore that. I got invited to Issei's show. How many pairs of underwear did, w was involved? I wore three different layers of shirts, which was like long sleeve, three quarters, and a short sleeve and a tank. And it just was that, you know, with jeans. And no one was wearing jeans at that time. I think it was, it was okay, but not really acceptable to go to a designer show. But, but you, you know, looked like like an avant-garde kind of guy. Well, it's the best I could do, and I had fun doing it, putting it together. And for whatever reason, from there, I was invited to Dior. Um, I got, and I said, I really want to coordinate shows. So the coordinator actually um, had me go to the House of Dior, and I, I watched him put on a show. Um, they put a full-length fur coat on me and said, now you walk the ramp, because you have to know how to walk, be a model. You know, know what it feels like. And that was my training. I mean, you know, my, it's, it's... But it sounds accidental, but is it? One, you're willing to go. If somebody invites you to something, you're willing to go. But, I mean, it seems like you're getting an awful lot of special it's, treatment. It's, it sounds like that, but you know what? This is me. I mean, this is my ordinary life, because that's the only life I knew. It's like doing an agency, there was a need for it, and I wanted to serve that. For our, for our people here, local people, you know, just to be represented in national commercials. But even that, I gave the agency away, and basically, it was one of the hardest things to do. And someone told me, you're giving up the agency because you're afraid of success. And that really hurt. But at the same time, when I went away, I left and I went to England, and it took me a while before I realized that success sometimes is knowing when to stop and it's okay because there's something else to learn. What tells you it's time to stop? You know, it's like, um, again, from the heart to the gut. And that's, that's it and following it. What happened when I left the agency was that I ended up in Morocco a friend built a casbah there, and he said, come. And he's been saying, come for years. And when I went there, I realized that in third grade, I had done a painting, and I called it Hot Fudge Sunday Mountains. And it was, I can still see it, the valley like this, the green, coming down a lake, and Hot Fudge Sunday Mountains. Because I didn't, had never seen snow. I didn't know what it was, but I knew what a Hot Fudge Sunday was, and it looked like that with the whipped cream. Many years later, I give up the agency. I end up in Morocco, in Marrakesh. And I look out the window of this car. I see 
hot fudge sundae. Exactly nachos. what you drew in third exactly grade. Exactly what I saw in third grade. The only reason I remember that painting is because at Royal Elementary it was sent to the Art Academy as an example of third grade art. And but that's the only reason I remembered it. But all of a sudden, bam, the image was there, and I thought, if I hadn't let go of the agency, I wouldn't be here. I, I'm back on track. So that's a dot. It's a dot. I'm back on track. Connecting the dot. So, um, what about money, though? I mean, you know, you're, you're running a successful mm. agency. You, you know, to this day, I don't know what my balance is. I really don't. I've never put an emotion on money, and the reason for it is because it's a number. I feel like a number needs to be met at the end of the month to meet all the bills, and somehow it's there. Somehow you were this town kid who became mm. a, uh, you, you know, you've rubbed shoulders and uh, had, had projects with top fashion designers internationally, mm -hmm. and you've, you've been able to choose between successful projects as an artist that pay the bills, which, you know, I mean, there's, like you said, there's a reward in creativity, yeah. but often there's not a reward financially. Right. I, I think when you get stuck on a number, you know, it's, it makes it really, really difficult to succeed because it's, for me, let's lower my expectations, you know, because I'm getting there. I know I'm getting closer to it. But then sometimes the dots don't connect. And when they don't connect, it's, it means that I'm drawing the wrong picture. It's really meant to go here. And that's okay. And when I start from there, I can do another one. It's all about resilience. It's, I don't know if I am, but I think I believe in good things. I believe that good things happen for its own reason. And that belief has given me life. Who is the most interesting top fashion designer you've worked with? I think it would have to be Dior. I've never met him, but I worked with the people. I don't speak French, but what happens is that art is universal. It's a language of its own. And they wanted me to do their silks, their batiks and silks, um, and I couldn't stay in, in Paris anymore because I got the call from my mom a year after my dad passed away and she said, you must come home. I need help. I, you know, family first. I came home. Paris would send me fabric and say, just do whatever you want and send it back to us. And I did for a while and then, you know, it was one of those things where you go like, wait, I can do this myself. And so I took the chance and, and responsibilities took on another thing here, you know, it's um, when you're caring for someone, when you're um, trying to survive in different ways, maybe that's why I changed professions in many ways, but it always led me to where I am. I see a lot of men wearing your shirts. Oh, thank you. Very, they're very distinctive, and I, I just wonder, um, what, what's your thought in creating a shirt, the, the kind of shirts, what are they like, uh, what, you know, what's your, yeah. what's your thought process? It's, it took me two years to really develop the shirts in terms of finding the fabrics and doing the designs and the textile process. You know, it's like from silk screening to abstraction to um, hand painting to embroidery, all of those things. But for me, wearing a shirt that I've worked on and designed is wearing a prayer. 
because it stems from a story and when people wear it hopefully they feel that prayer they become happier or maybe more determined you designed your own sh the shirt yeah. you're wearing now yeah. is there a message in this shirt it's it's basically what this is is it's almost like spirit writing in many ways because it's calligraphy I don't really know how to do calligraphy in a written form or in standard form, but I think there is a message in it which, which is stop and connect the dots, stop and, you know, sometimes you've got to live long enough to get enough dots to collect, you know, and connect them up in doing this. But Oh, that's why they don't connect sometimes. You've got to live longer. You've got to live longer. <laughs> you know, but for me, it's like it's um, the shirt is basically to see messages everywhere. We hear it, we see it. Things don't just happen for no reason. Honolulu and Bali designer Amos Kotomori has had many successes in his life, but it hasn't been easy. He got past many obstacles along the way. What was the worst hit you've ever taken? The unexpected not knowing was basically when I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Came out of the blue. You didn't feel bad? I didn't feel bad, except I was peeing blood. Not a good sign. So that was my first thing. But that was a good thing because it made me obviously stop and take care of it. But it was stage four cancer of the hip bone, uh, hip bone, uh, my bladder, and colon. And it, you know, I didn't know it then, but when it came out, they said, you've got six months. That was eight years ago. Wow, that's a, it, what a devastating diagnosis. But, you know, it's like um, I went to the doctors. I left Queens. I made it to Safeway, Kapahulu. I got the call. You've got cancer. You're going in on Monday. This was a Thursday. I was going to a camp in, on Kauai to cook for 50 people. It was a music camp. And I thought, I can do that. So I left on Friday morning, came back. Sunday afternoon cooking for 50 people and went off to surgery the following morning. But, you know, things don't stop because things happen to you. You know, it's like, but I've, I think from it, I learned to be a better caregiver. I became a better listener because rather than asking, how are you feeling when someone's recuperating? I always ask, what can I do to help? Is there something you need? But often people don't know what they need or they don't want to say. Sometimes then it's basically just sitting there with them and, and keeping company. And that's okay, you know. But what I also learned is that, like, people think that when you go through heart surgery, because I had five bypass, working on 10%. Um, 90% blockage. Blockage, yeah. It was When was amazing. that? Was that after the, your cancer? After the cancer. My chemo was so... Intense. I did 54 sessions of chemo, 24 hours long, each of them. I can't even imagine that. So you had surgery, and then you went into the intensive chemo, and, and was the cancer eradicated? Um, I still go to see my oncologist every three to four months. And I love that, only because it's, they're keeping on top of it. So, you know, every day, every moment, every breath is certainly a blessing. And so you appreciate that. What happened after your heart surgery? Were you, uh, I mean, I mean, that's, you had to be, I mean, that 10%, you must have been operating on such little. I didn't know. And what you don't know doesn't hurt you. That week I had done 
10 fashion shows, and it was the longest fashion ramp in America. It ran from Macy's all the way down to Sears at Alamoana Shopping Center. We laid a carpet out there, and you had to walk it 10 times with the models, and that just happened days before, and I didn't feel it. Well, I was, you weren't wheezing? Nothing. You know, you, your body acclimates. For, for a while, I guess. Yeah. But, so uh, then you, did you have stents put in? They went in for a stent, and I got up after that. And they said, mm, it's a little bit more major. So what happened is I said, okay. You know, so it was going to be in a couple of days. I checked myself out at the hospital, continued doing my meetings and everything. Your, your doctor had a few words with you after I, this, didn't well, he? Well, he called me the next day, <laughs> and he said, where are you? And I said, I'm in a meeting. He says, you're supposed to be here resting for your operation. I said, well, if you want me to rest, I need to do these meetings so that I can feel better about, you know, not being available for about a month. And I said it in my mind that even for cancer, 30 days, because I was taking care of my mom at that point, too, and she had Parkinson and, and dementia. And I told her, I said, I'm going for surgery, and I'll be gone for 30 days. And to the day, I was back with her. So, you know, you can. It's a number. But you must have taken, you, you know, you do take a moment to think things through, and you, it must have been, you, you had to contemplate that you might not make it through. You know, it's like the way I looked at it when you've only got such short time to organize and, as they say, get things in order, mm -hmm. which is a nice way of saying you're going to die, but so, you know, make it easier for the people that are left. The way I looked at it, it'll be like Zorba the Greek where everyone crawls through the windows and claims whatever they want in my house. <laughs> and that's fine because I'm not going to be around, you know, but it's like every piece that I have in my home has a memory. And that's what I surround myself with, is those memories. But I don't hang on to them, because it's about making new ones every day, creating new ones, and meeting new people, and challenging. You know, there's been moments where I, not knowing the challenges and facing fear, I think, is one of the things that I love, because it's an adrenaline rush for me. It makes me realize what I have to conquer so that it's no longer frightening. And I think in today's society, everything is based on fear. And I really feel for artists today only because there is no place to fail. You know, whereas before we did it because we needed to do it. It wasn't wanting to do it. As an artist, I needed to do this. I needed to. And if you failed, then you yeah. said there was a place for that? There was a place for that because not everything works. Well, what was the place? I mean, how did you bounce back from a failure in a very tough occupation to support yourself. Well, you know, it's like, it's always, it comes down to, it can be worse. It's that simple. You know, when things are really bad and then I go, it really can be worse. And when it, when I stop and think about that, I go, I am blessed. Well, you said uh, artists don't have room now to fail, but actually life is um, materially better. I mean, you know, when you look at what we have compared to what we had a, a generation ago. I, I agree with you. I mean, I think I'm here because of medical, you know, developments that certainly saved my life many times. I think that, like, 
life is better with the computer, the cell phone, all of these things. But I just think that one of the things that we're missing is the basic element of kindness, being able to listen to each other, being able to care for each other in different ways. I think that really changed my life, but that's the way I was brought up. I start every and end every day, you know, with a prayer of my own, and it's basically time for gratitude. And I think about all the things that I'm grateful for, for the day when I start. And at the end of the day, some things may not go well, and I think about it, but I'm so grateful for it. And it makes me believe that I'm blessed. It, makes, it confirms that I'm born under that lucky star. Honolulu's Amos Kotomori now spends much of his time at the serene retreat he built in Bali, Indonesia, called Villa Bodhi. Like most of his projects, it started with a dream. And while he says Hawaii will always be home to him, it's a place where he finds possibilities in thought. Mahalo to Amos Kotomori for sharing his life stories with us. And mahalo to you for joining us. For PBS Hawaii and Long Story Short, I'm Leslie Wilcox. Aloha nui. I kind of want to get a sense of how your mind works creatively. Because I know if, the, if this table were filled with textiles or, or just various objects, I know you could create something from it. What's your, what's your artistic process? You know, I, if I were to look at this table, I see the stripes. I see that they're organic. But more importantly, I see the, the light reflected on the surface. And with that, I see a lot of scratches and, 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 you know, like it's almost like there's ring marks from maybe somebody from a glass or, you know, just simply putting their ring on, on it and doing this. I think know? there's a Hawaiian bracelet mark somewhere. Bracelet marks <laughs> and all of these things. And that's what fascinates me is the scratches because those were made by people. They've left their mark. They've, um, there's different momentums to it. There's different depth to it in terms of the... You know, it's, I see that and I go like, that's what I want to capture. So I'm motivated to do something like that. You also picked this very table for this very program. You know, this is an example of how a thought can manifest itself. Because in my mind, for the, when I was doing a set many years ago, I mean, but I thought a triangle table would be perfect for this because it makes us closer. Mm -hmm. We're not sitting further apart. It's you know, not a rectangle. It was always odd to have a rectangle. And I had it in my mind, went down to CS Woe, and there it was. On sale, yes. On sale and affordable on your budget. And you know, so we got that. We got the rest of the set. We got the chairs, everything. And it worked. For audio and written transcripts of all episodes of Long Story Short with Leslie Wilcox, visit pbshawaii.org. To download free podcasts of Long Story Short with Leslie Wilcox, go to the Apple iTunes Store or visit pbshawaii.org.